1: Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the new statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're going to be talking about the new season of Broad City and the crime thriller film Wind River. We've also listened to the music of Russian prog folk duo I Am The Morning, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello, Welcome back to another episode of Seriously, Normal Programming Resumes after last week's live episode, which was a first for Seriously, wasn't it, Caroline?
2: It was indeed. And I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did, both the people who made it to the London Podcast Festival and also those of you who listened via the podcast afterwards As I think I said in the one before, I was a little bit like, will anyone want to listen to us
1: do this, but more rambling and less edited? It turns out you did. So thank you very much for that. But yeah, it was great fun. Really, really great fun to do. Thanks everyone who listened online.
2: We don't really have any more events coming up, having been plugging super hard all summer. We are now free of plugging. Hurrah. But, you know, we'll probably do
1: some more stuff in the future, maybe in 2018 or something, if you (laughs) haven't got to see us so far. Totally. Um, And we do, of course, continue with our Seriously quizzes. What will the next quiz be? Stay tuned to find out. But (laughs) it will happen.
2: Who can say if you have strong feelings about something you'd like us to do? This is the
1: period in which we decide, so get in touch and let us know. Yeah, and it will be early November, I suppose. Early to mid-November. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Exciting.
2: I had a really good email from Gifa, apologies if I'm not saying your name right, who got in touch to share a problematic fave. It starts all caps, azalea banks and goes hear me out she's the trashiest of trash humans and racist misogynist self-hating homophobic islamophobic etc etc but the 1991 ep fantasy and broke with expensive taste are incredible records and the soundtracks to my 20s and i just can't give them up oh fair enough yeah that is the very definition of a problematic fave that was a long
1: list in that email (laughs) it was yeah Mm -hmm. oh well that's a great email thank you so much the first thing we're going to talk about this week is the fourth season of Broad City. The American comedy series is on Comedy Central in the UK, I think in the US as well, actually. And it stars Ilana Glazer and Abby Jacobson as two best friends who are kind of navigating a struggling millennial creative life in New York City. As cliched as that sounds. So this is series four of Broad City, right? It is. So it's been on almost four years. I think it started in like January of 2014. And they're quite short seasons normally, aren't they? They're kind of like 10 episode seasons. They're not, you know, like a Parks and Rec season or or an Office season that get into the kind of like 25s. Mm. But it's a substantial amount of episodes for a kind of half hour comedy.
2: It's interesting, actually, that it doesn't have huge numbers of episodes. It's been incredibly influential, both on me, if that doesn't sound really grandiose, <laughs> but also just on comedy generally. Totally. A bit like, in a totally different way, how people always cite Fawlty Towers as one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, but there are only 12 episodes of Forty Towers ever yeah. made. Yeah. You know, that sometimes something that's really, really good does not have to be
1: massive in quantity to have an impact. Totally, but it's not. It's also, it's kind of a difficult one. This show, isn't it? Because although things like Friends run and run and run, and they kind of have like slightly bizarro plots, but I don't know. I, I feel like there's there's room for repetition in something like Friends, where there's perhaps not in something like Broad City, because the plots are very very ridiculous. They always revolve around Abby and Alana getting into some kind of very farcical, very bizarre situation. Which might be like Abby hallucinating in Whole Foods with like a giant bear creature. Or it might be them like going on an elaborate search for a missing iPhone and coming across all these weird things in New York City. So you want to be surprised by this show every time. You don't want to be like, oh, Ross is angry again. You want to be like, yeah. what the hell is going to happen this week?
2: So I liked very much the first episode of this fourth series, which is called Sliding Doors, mm-hmm. which has that kind of I even want to call it like buildings romance style where we like watch them go on a journey and grow but it's more formally complicated than just that because there's two separate timelines running in alternate scenes and we're kind of crossing from one into the other and it is a literal sliding doors moment it flashes back to 2011 when Abby Alana first met. Both times they meet each other in a subway station for the first time. In one of them they make it onto the train and in the other version they don't make it onto the train. And it just unfolds from there each ways as to what they have. Yeah. I almost don't want to say what happens because it packs a real punch when you're watching it. But... Yeah, there are twists and turns along the way, let's just
1: say. Totally. And it's kind of like, what if we had hit it off from the beginning and what if we hadn't sort of... Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, so it's like a parody of the Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors movie where like Mm. in one scenario she makes it on the train and realises her husband's a dick and in another she doesn't. (laughs) And it's playing with that idea, but in a way that is very broad city and does still manage to surprise you. I loved that episode. It was fun to kind of go, I mean, sometimes I think when these comedies try to bring in a political element, which they do a little bit in that episode and in another Mm. one that I've seen, it can feel a bit much. So there are a couple of moments in that episode because it's set in 2011 where like, I don't know, someone on the street, uh, you realise is saying Donald Trump will be president, but backwards. Yeah, that made me laugh actually. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. And there's another bit where... um, uh, I don't know where they're like, oh, really, really hopeful about the political trajectory of America because they're like, wow, we've got an amazing president and we're, it's just the beginning. But there are bits that I just really loved about it. I liked the way that they bonded over things. There's a moment where Alana's like, you know what I've been thinking about lately? And Abby's like, what? And she's like, why are you are not allowed to have eggs after 11 anywhere? And she's like, oh, my God, I think about all that, that all the time. And it's one of those great, relatable, broad city friend moments And I also found it really moving that they used this song um, by a duo called Cults, which the song's called Go Outside, and it was massive in 2011, or it was amongst a certain kind of like indie pop circle. And I remember listening to that with all my friends in 2011, and I felt really like weirdly emotional when it came on. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is like the beginning of their friendship, and I've had these moments and uh, it just felt really nice to me. So I liked the kind of the friendship vibe of that first episode. Then the second episode is called Twaining Day, and it's basically their cameo episode, which they seem to have every season now. Yes. It's also the kind of like workplace episode. So Abby has to has a new job but has to go back to her old place of work, the solstice gym that's been in lots of episodes, and she sees Shania Twain there, and it's all about her like trying to, you know, work alongside Shania Twain whilst also seeing some old faces that she used to work with. And Alana gets a new job as a meme waitress in some kind of like almost upmarket Manhattan restaurant and RuPaul of RuPaul's drag race mm. for which there have been contestant cameos in Broad City before. Uh, he's like the Maitre D, I guess, and he's he's the one who's in charge of trying to make her work hard and be mean to customers and stuff. For me, again, I feel like Once you've had Hillary Clinton on your show, no one else really matches up. You can like see the writing of the episodes around the cameos rather than being like, oh, we could slot this actress into this great plot it feels a lot more like, okay, we're going to write these famous people who've agreed to be on our show into it in this kind of elaborate way. But I did like that they kept it all in one episode. So it wasn't like we had the RuPaul episode and the Shania Twain episode and blah, blah, blah.
2: Yeah, that does work. Yeah, I wasn't a massive fan of Shania Twain in this. I felt like she very much did the sort of celebrity being
1: in a thing. She did the best she could, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which sounds mean, but I don't mean it to sound mean. We've seen some more episodes that haven't aired yet. I've seen one that is very political and there's a whole plot line around basically Alana having difficulty reaching orgasms since Trump's been elected. And I have said this before on Seriously, I have a problem with any art that references anything current and political, which I know is <laughs> my, my problem and not the problem of art, but I always find it really on the nose when people start referencing Trump and stuff. And I mean, and that's not like a weird kind of creepy way of me being like, "Um, things don't need to be political. Like, I don't think this Trump guy is so bad. Like, obviously, I hate Trump as much as the next person. But I just found the way it was done. I don't know. I can never organise my thoughts on this properly. But I just found it a bit unsubtle and a a bit overdone.
2: Yeah, it was very, it was both those things. It was unsubtle and overdone, but... I liked that in this particular case. I think sometimes you get that effect in other shows that try and do this kind of commentary. But I thought the fact that Broad City positioned the political storyline with Ilana, the more over the top of the two characters anyway, and gave it to her in a kind of semi-farcical masturbation storyline,
1: mm, essentially,
2: true. I found that really funny.
1: There were lots of things, though, that I did really like about this new season. I think for me, this is always the case with Broad City. Some of the funniest lines are kind of like, weirdly throwaway.
2: Yeah, I know uh, exactly what you mean. And I as really a result, I find it quite hard to quote them or find them.
1: Yeah. yeah. So there's an episode where, because Alana's got this new waitressing job, she, she's got loads of spending money. And she's like getting her nails done in a nail salon. And she says to uh, the person doing her nails, she's like... Listen, I read that terrible New York Times headline about the exploited salon workers and I want to make sure that you get this money, not the owner. And the person doing her nails who looks Asian is like, I am the owner. (laughs) And it's this great line because it satirizes so much in one thing. Like the fact that she says headline instead of article because obviously Alana isn't reading the articles. It's like, you know, satirizing attention spans and millennial reading habits, but also like casual racism like her assumptions about this person and like white guilt like the fact that she's like unable to just like have a normal interaction with this person all there's so much going on in that one line and it's barely acknowledged and that's the kind of really great writing in broad city for me and then after it happens she kind of sits back in the chair going white guilt yeah white White
2: guilt guilt. like just like singing it to herself Uh, which is a classic another
1: classic alana kind of thing Mm. and it there's there's been episodes like that in the earlier seasons like there's one where Alana is like literally she's managed to get some sort of weird belt physically chained to her and she sat there talking about like how women in Saudi Arabia practically live in chains but she's like literally living in chains because she's an idiot (laughs) it's so (laughs) funny yeah I really like those kinds of things that are more kind of taking the piss out of what the audience of Broad City can sometimes Mm. be a bit like which yeah I really
2: really enjoy and I have to say I did wonder with series four of Broad City how much more of it they can make Mm. in the sense that how much more kind of millennial satire can there be but I was actually pleasantly surprised I guess maybe because it's the best and it's the original that actually they don't do capital M capital S millennial satire in the way that that say something like search party does a bit more
1: yeah totally
2: it's there almost as like background static or as you say like in that one line but there's no like heavy-handed references to Instagram or people wearing pink or any of the things that lesser examples
1: of this format do. Totally and they're real characters like they're idiots and when they fuck up yes. it's, it's both relatable and also not considered a comment on like young people because they're they are very specific mm. characters that you've got to know over a long period of time and when abby makes a joke about how much she loves bed bath and beyond you feel part of that in joke because you've been watching the show so long it's mm. not just like oh millennials love bed bath and beyond <laughs> there's more to it than that i completely agree
2: i love how internally referential it is actually like um what was the name of the place that she had to go to collect the parcel in that yeah the place or, it's not
1: Staten Island it's some kind of it's island on
2: one one of the islands yeah. yeah and that was that was referenced just really in the the Twaining day <laughs> yeah. episode when yeah. the person rings up who's delivering her parcel to her old office and he's like well either you can come pick it up or I've got to take it to such and such an island. She's like, no, no, I can never go back there.
1: Exactly. It's great.
2: It does reward binge watching, I feel, this show.
1: Totally. And their performances are just so funny. Like, mm-hmm. they're great comic actors and I love watching them. So I'll keep watching the whole series and many more seasons to come, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I'll watch as many as they make, basically.
1: <laughs> Four and three and two and what one, one.
2: Now we're gonna talk about Wind River, which is a thriller film set in Wyoming near an Indian reservation from which it takes its title. It's written and directed by Taylor Sheridan and it stars Jeremy Renner as a hunter called Corey who gets involved in a murder case of a woman that he knows. Sheriff's office. I need emergency assistance. What's your location?
1: The Wind River Indian Reservation.
3: I'm Jane Banner,
0: FBI. Welcome to Wyoming. You by yourself?
3: It's just me. That's Corey Lambert. He's the one who found the body. This is a homicide.
1: I knew that girl. She's a fighter.
0: They have six officers to cover an area the size of Rhode Island. Maybe you can help.
3: I only know what the tracks say.
0: What is it that you do again?
3: Hunt predators.
0: So why don't you come hunt one for me then? Why would a teenage girl be out here? What's she running from?
3: You're looking for clues, but you're missing all the signs.
0: Shouldn't we wait for backup?
3: This isn't the land of backup,
1: Jane. This is the land of your on your own. What the best! Oh, my God. Yeah, so I saw this film when I was in America a few weeks ago. And it's kind of a strange one, because it's it's like part murder mystery, part kind of social investigation into kind of like racism and the specific plight of a group of Native American people in a very, very remote reserve. And it's kind of lots of things at at once, I would say.
2: Yeah, so... I was not really familiar at all with the work of Taylor Sheridan, who is an actor who's quite recently got into screenwriting. Apparently, you can see this as the third of a trilogy of films of what I think one critic called like thrillers with a social conscience. Mm. And the other two are Sicario and Hell or High Water, Mm. neither of which I've seen, I have to say. No,
1: I know about both of them.
2: I am actually now interested to see them Mm -hmm. based on that. I remember seeing the trailer for Sicario. It's got Emily Blunt in, I think, and thinking, oh, this does look maybe like something I would watch yeah. but then did not watch it so he's said in interviews that he was inspired to do the film when he learned about the fact that the FBI does not record like missing person or homicide statistics for Native American women right so therefore no one knows like how many of them are missing or you know, no one basically no one cares yeah exactly <laughs> Is, and that was what kind of Prompted him to formulate a story that actually tells you what happened to at least one of them,
1: right? Which is it is totally a really terrible situation and something I didn't know about before I saw the movie, and that does come up at the end, doesn't it? Just before the credits roll, there is some there's some kind of text that gives you that information,
2: and apparently that's why at the very beginning it says this is based on real events or something. What he means by that is not there was a case in a place in Wyoming that mm-hmm. involves these characters, but just that there are loads of stories like this probably, but we just don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm sure lots of people can tell you these stories without them necessarily being officially recorded.
2: Yeah. you know, And the, the kind of story we're referring to for anyone who hasn't seen the film is it's about Corey the hunter played by Jeremy Renner, who you might know from... The Hawkeye character in the Avengers Universe, he, in the course of like looking for a predator who's been attacking people's livestock, finds the body of a young Native American woman and he then basically assists the f b i yeah. Uh, investigator who comes to look into it, who's played by Elizabeth Olsen, he assists her in trying to find out what happens. One side note, I just have to say, is that I basically wasn't aware of Elizabeth Olsen as a thing, and I spent the entire film being like, she looks so much like the Olsen twins. Who is this? Is this one of the Olsen twins who's had a lot of plastic surgery? And then I Googled it afterwards, I was like, no, it's just their sister. Oh,
1: I did an uh, Elizabeth Olsen double bill on the day that I saw this, I saw this, and then Ingrid goes west, which we must do on Seriously at some point. Um, because she's got two
2: films out really close together. Yeah, hasn't she? yeah. I li- we literally yeah.
1: went into the cinema and came out after seeing two Elizabeth Olsen movies, which was great. But yeah, I, so I, that's that dynamic that you're talking about between the two leads um, in this movie was part of the problem that I had with this movie because I've seen lots of people more qualified than me to speak to this particular issue writing about how the lead hunter character is sort of used as like the white voice to get you into this. Yeah, Native American community. I was very
2: conscious of that the whole time. And I was like, for the whole time that he's talking about how important it is that people like respect the reservation and respect the people on it and that, you know, women... Well, that, that whole speech he makes at the end where he's like, you know, women survive because they're strong and all this kind of stuff. I was like, why are you saying this? Mm. Why... Couldn't any of the female characters in this have said this?
1: Yeah, and no, none of the Native American women are, are really given a voice in this, mo- in this movie at all. Mm. Even the ones that are kind of like main characters are for- yeah all kinds of reasons, not actually voicing what's happened to them or what's happened to their family or anything. And also there are a few lines, this is our one of our pet hates on seriously, is when male writers get women to say things like, hey, I'm not just a stereotype. And there are a yep. couple of lines in this that are <laughs> that verge on that territory, which are like you know, Native American characters saying to these white people, like, you don't understand our culture. And it's like, cool, but uh, neither do we the audience because we're not given that perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're given yeah. the perspective of these these two leads. And I, I understand the need to have the white FBI character. If you're going to talk about the way that the FBI are not engaging with this problem, then yeah, you probably, you do need that character. And fair enough if they're one of the main ones. But the hunter character, he's kind of there to both mansplain the wilderness to this woman and like say, mm-hmm. like, "This is how you get through the snow and stuff, and this is what this means." But also, in doing that, silence the voices of other people who really know the land that they're on really well and like know um, the specifics of the relationships in the community that might lead to a woman's death, all this kind of stuff. he He both speaks over the native american characters and speaks down to the women characters so you're a bit like i don't like this this dynamic at all
2: i thought it was a real missed opportunity that because so part of the story is that the hunter's ex-wife who is a native american woman she appears a few times mostly to like shut the door in his face and stuff I thought it was a real missed opportunity not to have her be a bigger role in it totally exactly because i was like Here's a ready-made character who could have got drawn into the investigation, who could have forged a, hey, what do you know, a woman-woman sort of professional (laughs) dynamic with the FBI investigator. You know, she could have been a really big part of it. And she just wasn't. She was barely,
1: she wasn't in like the last hour of the film. Which are all things that, by the way, I feel like films get this kind of stuff wrong all the time. And maybe we're being unfair for, for singling out this movie. But it, it feels so specifically like it was made with some of those goals in mind that it's a shame that it didn't that it didn't achieve them.
2: Yeah, what well, I, well, I was thinking about it when I was walking out of the cinema. Maybe this is a bit harsh on Taylor Sheridan. Maybe I'm, as you say, maybe I'm being unduly harsh on him because he actually tried. Yeah. But this is very much a white man's version of this story. Totally. And yeah, I'm being extra critical on him because he actually put his head above the parapet and tried to do something that wasn't (laughs) literally like a bro white dude film. Mm. But you know, the very fact that he tries maybe suggests that he wants to be better. Yeah. So
1: it's worthwhile saying these things. But that said. Talking about it though, just as a murder mystery, everything else aside, I also found it weird kind of from that perspective because there aren't that many suspects you know what's happened is this this woman's body has appeared in the snow in the middle of nowhere and they don't understand how she could have got there or what happened to her but it's clear that she's been raped and that's basically all they know there's there are never very many suspects given you kind of have to figure out who it who or what happened fairly quickly it's quite tense there's a lot of action and then halfway through the film you find out what happened to her and then the other half yeah, they show us in a flashback totally yeah. and so you so the mystery element is over halfway in and then the rest of the film is kind of dealing with the fallout of that but i know that it's bad to be like well i couldn't fit this film into a category in my mind and therefore i couldn't possibly enjoy it and you know it's good for things to break stereotypes sometimes but for me it was like neither one thing or another which stopped it from excelling at either if that makes sense. It
2: does, and I think that's fair. I felt similarly. I was very surprised when suddenly it cut to like a flashback that just solved the mystery for you. Mm -hmm. It seemed a bit like you'd built up quite a considerable amount of suspense, actually, and now you've just like punctured it all in one Mm five-minute segment. So yeah, that was a little bit of an odd decision. That said, though, I did enjoy some aspects of this film, most of that being the landscape and the way that The landscape was portrayed. Mm. There's a lot of very beautiful shots of like snowy mountains and stuff like that. Um, I think I read in one of the reviews that it's got the best skidooing action that you'll see in any any film this decade. What is skidooing? That's the name for those electronic sledge things. Oh, right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of that.
2: There's a lot of like people racing around the mountains on those, which you know, Mm -hmm. if you like that kind of thing, which I do, Mm -hmm. it's quite interesting. All of that is is quite good. Some of the critics have gone into quite technical stuff about... Because Taylor Sheridan directed this film as well as writing it, and I think it's his debut as a director, sort of saying that sometimes he's a little bit on the nose about it, like when the characters are arriving in the uh, Native American reservation for the first time, and there's a shot of the American flag flying upside down, and it's all tattered. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And basically <laughs> being like,
2: yeah, we get what you're trying to say, man. <laughs> there's that, you know. Yeah, Totally. I would say it's an interesting film. Like I definitely found it thought-provoking, so I would maybe recommend it for that reason. Yeah,
1: I would say if you're going to see one Elizabeth Olsen movie in the ne- in the coming months, make it Ingrid Goes West, and we'll talk about why I'm sure when it actually is released in the UK. But yeah, it was it was okay, right?
2: Yeah, it was okay. I'm going to go looking into this. But if anyone listening knows of any better depictions of this issue to do with native american women or anything i can read about it i would appreciate recommendations because i am really interested in it now
1: that's true and we'll tweet out the good things that we've read and put them in the show notes um so that you can you can see some other perspectives on this movie So last week, Theodore got in touch with a recommend for us, what he called a rather lovely piece of work by a Russian duo called I Am The Morning, an absolutely stunning mix of fragile vocals and deliciously complex instrumentation. And it's all about mental health. And I think the album is called Lighthouse. If I got that right, Caroline?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: And yeah, so we listened to that for the very first time. Uh, What did you make of it, Caroline?
2: I absolutely loved it. It reminded me so much of an album I was really into a couple of years ago by a band called Bitter Ruin. Bitter Ruin. Their album called Waves that came out in 2014 and they supported Amanda Palmer on tour, I think. And there are a couple of songs on this I Am The Morning album that gave me the most intense deja vu because I was like, this is exactly the same very s- similar quality sort of really like acrobatic female vocal and ethereal but also quite crunchy backing music yeah it was really really similar oh that's so cool it just took me right back i don't know why like i was very briefly but very intensely in love with that band bitter ruin
1: that's so nice it's lovely when you get like a kind of uh sensory reminder of a different time in your life
2: yeah it was it was really weird, actually it doesn't happen very often, but mm. yeah, so for that reason, and actually because I found this music to be really interesting i yeah I've been super into it and listening to it every day
1: no way. I couldn't get into it (laughs) really interesting I just it's just outside my uh, comfort zone and my music is such a weirdly personal thing isn't it and it and I could tell that there was a lot going on in there that was good and that they were very talented and it wasn't like I was sat there like oh this is rubbish I just couldn't connect with it for whatever reason and I don't listen to a lot of It it didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard before I don't listen to a lot of music like that so, yeah, for me, it was just probably not something that I'm ever going to, you know, it's not like Anna of the North record we did a few weeks ago, which is something that just like is so my comfort zone <laughs> and I just mm. listen to nonstop. Yeah. So it wasn't that for me, but I'm really glad that it, it resonated with you.
2: Yeah, it really did. And I can't really precisely explain why. I think I always respond quite well to anytime I listen to something where I'm like wow that is good technical singing and this this is really really impressive singing mm. but also I don't know it just has a
1: it feels more classical and traditional that kind of yeah that kind of vocal which you know more about yeah, than I do it it is
2: definitely shading into that side which feeds into the little bit I've been able to read about this band they they are sort of I think what we'd call here a classical crossover act mm-hmm. in that They call themselves like progressive chamber music in that they take some things from the progressive rock scene and other things from like, you know, classical chamber music. Um, They haven't, as far as I can tell, really had a proper release here. Or if they Mm -hmm. have, they certainly haven't been reviewed very widely or anything. I could only really find reviews on sort of um, like specialist websites that review a lot of progressive rock, that kind of thing. Totally. Totally. So yeah, they haven't really hit the mainstream. But in one sense, that's good because it means you can listen to all their music for free on Bandcamp.
1: Yeah. We did have an email from someone called Florence who got in touch because they were just so pleased to hear that we were going to do I Am The Morning. And it's an interesting email, so I'll read it. So Florence said, there's a growing band of women musicians on the prog scene that deserve a bit more attention from other music fans who like something a bit unusual. One of my favourites at the moment are a London trio called Beatrix Players. She's put, amazingly, they just won Best New Band in the prog awards. Traditionally, it's a very male scene. So to win a reader's poll as a fairly unknown band is a pretty fantastic achievement. Their album Magnified is gorgeous. So if you're checking out I Am The Morning, then do give them a listen too. So I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to hear a bit more about a music scene that I just don't know anything about. And she ends her email with more prog on seriously, please. And I'm like, no, but <laughs> uh, but thanks, Florence. Uh, that is, is interesting.
2: We'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, I, I will check out that um, magnified album that she rec- uh, she recommends. That does sound like something I would also like in that it, she later on in the email, she says, um, the influence of the Brontes and figures from history like Margaret of Anjou play a big part. So, yes, I'm interested in that. <laughs> totally.
1: Yeah. And that was the element of this record that appealed to me. Theo said, you know, there's... Um Sylvia Plath in there and lots of mental health Mm. stuff in there, which did really interest me. But the thing with music is even if all that stuff hits the right notes with you, if the music doesn't, for want of a better pun, uh, it just doesn't.
2: Okay, well, um, a partially successful foray into prog, then.
1: It's quite fun when we have one of the rare occasions where one of us likes something and the other one doesn't. That almost never happens, yeah. seriously. So <laughs> thanks for making that happen. Theo. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so what about next week, Caroline? I feel like it's your turn to recommend me something. What's it going to be?
2: Yeah, so I've been wanting to recommend you this for ages, but then, we, you know... We've been doing like stupid AMA episodes and live episodes and stuff. So we haven't mm-hmm. been keeping up with the regular schedule. So it's this podcast called Dissect that I am completely obsessed with. I have, I've written a whole column about it already and I'm still just like physically pressing it. If you can do that with a podcast on every single person I meet. <laughs> uh, so it is a musical analysis podcast. If you, are familiar with things like song Exploder or switched on pop it's kind of in that vein in that it's i think the host describes it as long form musical analysis but what he's doing that maybe others aren't doing is he's looking at cultural context Mm. as well as like musical detail Mm. and so the second series of it is coming out at the moment and it's all devoted to a single Kanye West album my beautiful dark twisted fantasy the first series was all about Kendrick Lamar's to pimp a butterfly and it's sort of roughly structured like the album and each episode has a particular focus on a different song that then allows him to look at a particular aspect basically it's amazingly well made and well written yeah <laughs> and I think, um, I think, somewhere on his Patreon, he says that each episode takes him like twenty or more hours from sort of genesis to final product, mm-hmm. which is incredible. So, um, yeah, I'm as I know you are a Kanye fan, so I'm very keen to hear what you have to say about it.
1: I'm really excited actually, because well, I mean, seriously, listeners will know that we both really enjoy Song Exploder, which is something you recommended to me. I didn't know about it until you told me about it.
2: Incidentally, did you know Lord has just been on it
1: on Song Exploder? Yes. Oh, which song? Sober. Oh great. Yeah, I don't think I've like pressed
2: download on a podcast
1: so fast (laughs) in a very long time. (laughs) Okay, I can't wait for that. That's so exciting. Yeah, I just really am excited for this particular recommend because yeah, you've been always really good on recommending good podcasts to me. And as you say, I'm really interested in Kanye West and I think he is someone who lends himself really well to long form discussion and uh he's just he's a rich text that Kanye West isn't he so yeah
2: actually that is what having listened to what I have of it that is what emerges from it is that after you've listened to this not that you would anyway but if anyone listens to this there is no way they could ever like write off Kanye as like shallow or
1: not a serious musician ever again you know oh I'm so excited thank you well we'll return to it next week Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman.
2: On seriouslypod.com, you'll find all our back episodes, including our specials on Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends.
1: We're also available at many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're seriously Pod on all of them.
2: We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts
1: on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. If you really enjoyed this episode, why not go to iTunes and give it a rating and a review? It helps other people to find the show. And
2: if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast.